you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Well, howdy folks, and welcome back to Prairie Justice, the Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. It's your old partner, Ranger Gord here, coming at you from uh, Prairie Justice Central in Pincher Creek, Alberta. Today, we're going to get back on the saddle and uh, talk about an- another Vigilante solo adventure from Action Comics number 54. I know I had promised, uh, I believe in the past couple of episodes, to get into the Seven Soldiers of Victory, but I just thought it was a time to get a little ahead a little bit uh, from a story that uh, hit the stands in September of 1942. Uh, promise the next few episodes we'll get back into the Seven Soldiers. And Happy New Year. Well, welcome to 2023. It was a good one here in the uh, in in Ranger Gorge Central. Uh, a little bit uh, peaceful, no inebriation, no litigation, no nudity, and no loss of communication. So I guess all in all, we're starting the year off right. Even better, the Chinook blew in, the deep freeze ended, and uh, while it wasn't exactly basting weather, it was still a com- nice, comfortable winter days, and we look forward to a few more. I am happy to report that DC is finally off to a bit of a Justice Society revival. And uh, an interesting uh, take uh, by Jeff Johns and others on uh, just representations of these uh, 1940s heroes and their legacy heirs, as it were. Uh, we've had, uh, in the past fall, we've had uh, an issue of the one-shot, The New Golden Age. I, I believe that's a one-shot, I'm not sure. A miniseries of Stargirl, The Lost Children, and that's a discussion of sidekicks that apparently have fallen by the wayside, including many that we've never seen before. Wing is among these, however, stuff has not been seen. But in Stargirl 2, we all did have a brief... Uh, I believe it was a memory sort of a uh, a scene in which uh, the Seven Soldiers of Victory were depicted, including our friend Vigilante. So I guess that does count as a Vigilante sighting in an actual modern-day comic. So I will take that as a win. Oh, and before I'm too long, we have also had the first issue of the relaunched Justice Society comic justice society of america is the comic and this seems to be concentrating on a reintroduction of huntress under the elena wayne or helena wayne i I call her helena i don't know i hear other people say elena uh it's helena to me identity as opposed to helena bertinelli which uh has been the pervading huntress ever since the crisis in 1986, seven, something like that. And uh, but this is not your father's Elena Wayne or your Batman of the Golden Age, Elena Wayne. And uh, I won't give any spoilers on any of these comics. Uh, perhaps I'll do a special one. We have a few more months down the line after some of these uh, stories have had a chance to gel and and more people have seen them. Um, speaking of Stargirl, we have finally seen the wrap-up to the Stargirl series after its uh, final season. Uh, we're disappointed not to see Vigilante ever show up, but there were a lot of 
great golden age heroes and villains that did show up, including, at the very end, spoilers, the ultra-humanite, and uh, a few members of the Infinity Inc., and at least over the, the period of the, uh, of the show, at least three soldiers of victory did have real-time appearances, and that was uh, Stripesy, of course, uh, one of the stars of the show, the Shining Knight, who appeared in Season 1, and the past season we saw the return of Sylvester Pemberton. Somewhat. Again, no spoilers. I know many people haven't seen it yet. And in Season 2, we did a, get a few, uh, sort of a flashback kind of a scenes, where we did see all of the Seven Soldiers, at least on the wall, in... Uh, I guess I believe they were like newspapers and uh, poster commemorations. So at least they were represented, and I think we did see them in one a group shot photograph. So all in all, um, this has been a great series. If you are an Earth 2 fanatic like I am, or at least the, the pre-crisis Earth 2, uh, this uh, series showed great promise. Unfortunately, it's probably the penultimate uh show that we're going to see in the so-called Berlantiverse, Arrowverse, whatever you have, call it, on the CW. Uh, CW, I believe, is going to wrap, wrap up The Flash in this season or early in the next. I'm not exactly sure what the scheduling is on that. I haven't seen anything, at least in the past fall season, on The Flash. And uh, I don't think there's anything else uh, that has been scheduled as far as the CW, because they've gone under new management and are taking a new direction. So I guess we're back to the cinematic universe to try to find hope. And uh, if you can find hope in that cinematic universe of, of the DCU, I guess the only thing I can see is the uh, assumption of James Gunn as the head of the film department at DC. Uh, he has uh, so far made a few controversial decisions, but we haven't seen the... Uh, the total plan. Now, as far as the appearances of the Justice Society in Black Adam, I haven't seen it yet. I missed it at our local theater. It just wasn't in the cards for me to get to it. Uh, it has been streaming, but I do actually have it ordered for a physical property for a Blu-ray that should be coming to me within the next week and a half or so. So I'm not going to spend extra on streaming for that. And I'll wait for the disc and make a judgment from there on the Justice Society that we see in the Black Adam uh, uh, film. I was going to say universe, but I don't think we have a DC universe anymore. Uh, Man of Steel, seem, um, at least the Henry Cavill Superman, uh, seems to be the end of, of him. I think we're going to see a new Superman over the next few years. And what's going to happen with Gal Gadot and Wonder Woman is the only bet, as the third movie has been cancelled as well. And of course we had the uh, huge announcement that the completed Batgirl movie had been put into the can and presumably is being put into a, a cement pill, pillar and being dropped in the ocean somewhere. Nobody's ever going to see it. Uh, I hope it does isn't like the Fantastic Four movie of 1994 that nobody got to see it and unless you could find a bootleg at a convention somewhere. Um, hopefully, cooler heads will prevail. And 
maybe DC just needs to give up on this Marvel or the Marvelized or Marvel version of a of a shared universe. I don't think it's gone well. Uh, I think it's the DC showing has been very uneven. Um, some very good movies, some not so good. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of money and a lot of time has been wasted by DC in this film universe. But I'll look forward to it and keep an open mind as to what James Gunn's going to do as well, including these, uh, the bizarre situation of the upcoming Flash movie starring the, shall we say, legally challenged Ezra Miller and how that's going to play out. And I believe there's a second Aquaman movie that we're going to see. And whether we're going to see Jason Momoa beyond that second one, well, again, we will see, but I have my doubts. At any rate, I don't think we're going to see any motorcycle riding cowboys in the movies or television anytime soon. But that's all right. We can always read the comics. The old ones, at least. And hope for... Some more appearances in this uh, newly uh, revitalized Justice Society of America comic. We'll see how that works out. Okay, we're going to take a bit of a podcast break here before we get going into our drama. And so, listen to this. Take it away, Al. Tell me his name again. Thanos. I think I shall call him. Adam. But return to me again empty-handed, and I will bathe the stallways in your blood. Thanks, Dad. Sounds fair. Korvac's power grows, as does his madness. He would have destroyed us all had I not pulled us into the Soul Gem. Then Thanos, I'm coming for you. After Xandar, you were going to kill my father? You dare to oppose me? You see what he has turned me into? You kill him, I will help you destroy a thousand planets. It's all right, Adam. We're here to help. Just stay cool. I don't want to be here! Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Five years and going strong. Every other week, mostly. For all of your Adam Warlock, Thanos, or Marvel Cosmic needs. Find it on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are available. Resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com Adam Warlock, you cannot keep leaving your philosophy books open on the floor. I always trip on them in the middle of the night on my way to the can. All right, so now let's introduce our feature drama from Action Comics number 54, and the title of this story will be The Rookie Who Fought a Ghost. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about where we are in time. Our cover date is November 1942, but uh, actual publication puts us back a little bit for took a couple of months to September 18th, 1942. Our course were monthly, 10 cents, uh, 64 pages, and Frederick Whitney Ellsworth steering the ship. Actually, he may be steering the submarine. And if he is in that submarine, he's in a lot of trouble because on the cover, 
Uh, the cover of the art, by the way, is performed by the incomparable Jack Burnley. And I'm sure most people who listen to this show know Jack Burnley as it a uh, basically a feature cover Superman artist and regular artist in the, on the title over the years. And primarily I know him as the originating artist and I guess co-creator of the Ted Knight Starman who runs an adventure comics around this period of time. But to get back to what Superman is doing here, he's tying a knot in the periscope of a German submarine, U-52, one of the infamous U-boats, one of the patrol, the wolf packs that patrolled, as you call it, or attacked shipping between North America and England in the Battle of the Atlantic. Uh, early as 1939 and continuing right through to the end of the war, actually. U-52 is an actual German submarine in real life. It's uh, part of the Kriegsmarine, uh, went to sea in 1937 in violation of the Treaty of Versailles. Can you believe that Hitler was violating a treaty? And was built at the Friedrich Krop Yards in Kiel, Germany. Uh, Launched in 1938, she was commissioned on the 4th of February 1939 under the command of Wolfgang Barton. Uh, Here's an interesting tidbit. uh, Several months before the United States was officially at war, the USS Niblack did attack the uh, U-52 and... uh, and uh, that usually means it was probably in American or Caribbean waters. Uh, of course, the United States was not at war, but it would defend uh, against uh, any enemy submarine or submarine. It didn't have an enemy at that point in time that dared to violate American waters uh, while it was performing one of its eight patrols between 1939 and 1945, attacking British shipping. Now, of course, uh, Britain was not officially an ally, but yeah, they were. They were an ally of the United States at at that point in time. Uh, The United States didn't go after the submarines, but if they did enter American waters, they were considered fair game, and uh, thus uh, preventing the Germans from using uh, those waters to raid Atlantic shipping. U-52 was responsible for sinking 13 ships, Uh, during the war and was finally scuttled at Danzig, Germany in 1945 and broken up or cut into little pieces in 1947. And in our By the Way department, what else was going on September of 1942 before this book hit the stands? Uh, The German 4th Panzer Army attacked the Soviets outside of Stalingrad just beginning that battle. Shigori uh, Togo resigned as Japanese foreign minister. Oh, and here's some submarine action that I'm going to brag about. German submarine U-756 with depth charged and sunk in the Atlantic Ocean by the Canadian Corvette Morden. Yay, Canada. Uh, the British commandos conducted Operation Dryad on the Channel Islands, just uh, retaking some of their own territory. Uh, lots of German submarine action here and there. Soviet planes bomb Budapest for the first time. 
That's interesting. The comics character Pogo makes his first appearance uh, in Animal Comics issue one, penned, of course, by Walt Kelly. The first, oh, I love this one. September 9th, 1942. I've been to this place. The first of two lookout air raids occurred in Oregon when a Japanese float plane that launched from a submarine attacked a lighthouse on the Oregon coast, Fort Stevens. I'm actually working on a book on that in my own time. And Adolf Hitler removed Wilhelm List from command of Army Group A and took command himself. That always works well. Good old Adolf, that micromanager. And the Canadian Corvette Charlottetown, uh-oh, got uh, torpedoed and sank in the Gulf of St. Lawrence by the German submarine U-517. So there's a couple of... Uh, World War II accidents that actually happened in uh, North American territory. The assault on Stalingrad continues on September 13th. Spoilers, folks, it won't go well. British troops land on Madagascar. In North Africa, Erwin Rommel takes sick leave. Japanese forces land on Mariana in the Gilbert Islands. Hitler's favorite Norwegian, Vidkun Quisling. I believe that's spelled that correctly. It introduces the death penalty to the Norwegian Criminal Code. And it won't end well for Quisling either. Unless you think the Allies have its moral shit together. Uh, the Rower War Relocation Center, World War II Japanese-American internment camp, is open in Desha County, Arkansas. Oh, I bet there was uh, no problem with uh, Japanese spies in Arkansas. Yeah, it's a shameful part of both American and Canadian war history that uh, our governments chose to perform that. So after all that bad news, let's escape with a good comic, Action Comics 54, from fighting a Nazi U-boat on the cover, Superman on the inside, in the first uh, story of the issue, Vigilante's Worm Impact, is turned to fighting Captain Iron Fist, who is also known as the Pirate of Pleasure Island. For our text piece, Superman of America, Clark Kent is reporting on Captain Hewitt T. Wallace, who has won the, or awarded the Distinguished Service Cross in recognition of heroic efforts as a pilot uh, against the Japanese uh, naval planes at the Battle of Luzon in the Philippines. And there's also a nice uh, art piece to go with that. After the Vigilante story, the three aces are in China. And they're fighting fire over the Yunafu Road, if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, very nice piece in which the three aces help the U.S. Navy uh, fight the Japanese uh, air forces over China. And then that takes us to the Americamando, which is the current name of Mr. America, formerly Tex Thompson. And he's, oh, he's getting right to business here. The story of Destination Berlin. And this may be one of the stories that uh, was considered by J James Robinson when he wrote that. Uh, Golden Age miniseries back in the 1990s and I won't spoil that anymore 
because uh, it did concern Mr. America and the results of a uh, admission into Berlin. Congo Bill, he's spending the war here in a jungle in Central America, uh, where he is uh, all tied up with the in we uh, web of intrigue and the idol of doom. And, of course, lots of uh, indigenous content here, which is probably totally inappropriate today. And finally, wrapping up with Zatera, the master magician, who is whipping up a recipe for robbery. So, uh, probably a good old home front story for Zatera. So, all thought all the way, let's flip back to our main feature, Vigilante, a 12-page story written by Mort Martin Jr. There's that sobriquet again. Definitely the artist, possibly the writer. Possibly in concert with Mort Weisinger, we just don't know. And inked by George Inky Russo's. Uh, interesting that they are going to sign themselves twice on this book. Uh, and as we've said many times before, uh, creators didn't often get the opportunity to sign their work or to uh, be credited at all in the Golden Age. So uh, just, a very, just a heads up that... Uh, Mort and George Inky Russo's are signing themselves both at the beginning and at the end of the stories. And I'd like to know the story of why that was. And I'd really like to know who our writer is, but time to stop beating that dead horse. I don't think we're ever going to know. So without further ado, uh, let's uh, join Vigilante and Stuff at as they meet New York City police officer Dan Carmody, and also known as the rookie who fought a ghost. The Vigilante by Mort Martin Jr. and Inky Russo's. Only one thing Dan Carmody, the toughest cop in town, couldn't lick, and that was the memory of his father, Was he an even tougher cop? The courage of a lion, the persistence of a bloodhound on the trail. Not even these are equal to the mighty deeds his fellows expect of him. But a freelance lawman, the rough-riding, hard-hitting vigilante, brings wits and weapons of the Old West to the problem, and a swirl of perilous action. A city learns to appreciate the rookie who fought a ghost. There are times when cops are poor insurance risks. And here's a first-class example. Killer Bragg and his whole gang ought to be here. And I'll get him, or my name's not Dan Carmody. Inside the gangster's hideout, it's Dan Carmody. Rach, you rats. I'm taking you in. Only wouldn't care if it was this old man. Nobody's taking me in. Rick got his gun. Now get him. Uh, skunks like you can't fight without guns. But I was brought up in a scrapping family. Oh, stop him, somebody. Sometimes a man can do a neat job with his fists. Let's get out of here. 
This cop is going crazy. If I had five arms, I'd have all of you. And especially you, Killer Bragg. If you didn't have any arms, I'd be on my way. As Officer Dan Carmody drags their human refuse into the night desk. Here's a couple of them, Sarge. But Bragg and two others got away. What? You brought in only two? I'm disappointed in you, Carmody. What sort of a story is this anyway? Where a courageous cop risks his life against five to one odds, brings back twice his weight in gun-toting crooks, and then gets balled out for not doing better? Well, read on, listeners. The station house reserve room buzzes with comment, with Dan himself within earshot. Carmody's a nice guy, but it looks like he'll never be the cop his dad was. You said it, Phil. Old Mac Carmody, crest his soul, would have brought in all five of those crooks. What a man that Mike Carmody was. Best pistol shot in the department. Best fighter, best brawler, best everything. I guess they don't make them like that anymore. I might as well quit trying. No matter how good I am, I'm still a pale imitation of poor old dad. That's Mike Carmody's son. You don't say. Mike Carmody's son. Of course I'm proud of dad. Always will be. But why can't people judge me on my own record instead of his? Another night... And Greg Sanders, the prairie troubadour of radio fame, contributes his rich voice to the annual police benefit show. Sounds like a dude, doesn't he? He may be a dude, but I understand the cowboys are crazy about his songs. Later, with his young pal... Stuff, the Chinatown kid. Greg watches the police performers. This fellow Carmody is good. He scored 99 out of a possible 100 on that target shooting contest. Oh, but you should have seen his father. He always made a perfect score. Wow, Carmody made that jump with three cops on his shoulders. What a stunt! Yeah, but his old man used to do the same thing with five cops on his shoulders. The performance ends, but further excitement awaits the radio star and his pal as they start homeward through the shadowy streets. You know, Greg, I feel sort of sorry for Carmody. You and me both, partner. Nobody should have to live up to someone else's reputation. But as Vigin stuff round a dark corner... Stick him up, you imitations, dear wrestler. Oh, oh, look who's asking for trouble. Somebody's making a mistake. A mistake indeed. For Greg Saunders is none other than the crime-smashing vigilante. But before the Westerner can swing into action... Look, a cop! Let me in on this party. It's Carmody! Rob the Prairie Troubadour, will you? Give my regards to the warden. Gee, Greg, look at him go! 
Carmody, you got what it takes. You ought to get a promotion for this. The newspapers ought to make a hero out of you. That's the way it would be with anybody else. But no matter what I do, everyone thinks I should have done twice as much. Speaking of crimes, the way they're treating that copper ain't no example of justice. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll have a chance to do him a good turn someday. At that very moment, in Killer Bragg's new hideout... Whatever anybody else says about Carmody, he's one copper I'd like to see out of circulation. No, I got a plan. You gotta bump him off and just frame him. Turn on the burglar alarm, but be ready to shut it off soon as Carmody shows up, so we won't have the whole police department on our necks. It's the jewelry shop. Oh, what? A tripwire. Ah. Don't give him a chance to start fighting. Not if I can help it. Laughing gas. That'll fix him. And will I get a big laugh out of that? They'll run him out of the department so fast he'll never know what happened. <laughs> the robbery of the jewelry store is carried out swiftly. <laughs> Bragg and his gang robbing a store. I can't do anything about it. <laughs> Later. <laughs> Bragg cleaned out the department store, Sergeant. <laughs> Carmody, are you crazy? <laughs> the next day, Greg and Stuff are shocked by a headline in the local paper. Son of toughest cop suspended from force. Carmody laughed as crooks raid jewelry store. There's something fishy going on here, and it's about time the vigilante did something about it. I hear you talking. So it is that the vigilante, scourge of evildoers, once again patrols the shadowy streets of a neighborhood favored by the skulking creatures of the underworld. If we only had some idea where Killer Bragg makes his headquarters. Well, this is his favorite neighborhood. And if we give the gas-eating bronco her head, she may lead us right to him. Look, isn't that Dan Carmody? Right. He must be after the same thing we are. Let's see where he heads in. Humiliation and disgrace have only served to arouse the two-fisted ex-cop's anger. They took my badge and my gun and wouldn't listen to my story. But they'll have to listen if I bring in Bragg and his mob. And if that stool pigeon wasn't lying, this is where I get my last chance at Bragg. It's prison for him or a funeral for me. After what's happened, I don't care which. Loot and laughter make a merry nest of mobsters in a back room of the old tenement. So Carmody's down and out, and we made ten grand. Ain't that rich? Bitch is the right word. <laughs> it don't take no gas to make me laugh tonight. Suddenly... My turn to laugh, you comedy crooks. Comedy. Looks like he ain't learned his lesson yet. But this lesson is permanent. 
riddled with machine gun slugs, Carmody seems a sure bet for that funeral. But Killer Briggs has not yet solved all of his problems with that cowardly blast of bullets. Shooting. Here we go, fella. Golly, what if we're not in time? Let's go for a shortcut. Hang on. Mopping up gangsters will be a cinch if I live through this. Duh, vigilante. But lead will stop him. It's been tried before. Lucky there's a soft spot for me to land. Ah, lucky for who? You break too soon, killer break. Handsome. Snipper, get him. You sidewinding diamond back, have a dream on me. The cunning Bragg tries an indirect approach. Okay, vigilante, do you calm down or I put a slug in the brat? Huh? Don't let him trick you that way, Veg. If you harm him, Bragg, I'll beep. He can't make up his mind. I'll help him. Gag's most important with this yapping brat. Hurry it up. Too many guys know where this joint is. We'll take them down to the boathouse and give them a bath. What about the copper? Forget him. If he ain't dead, it will be before anybody finds him. Minutes later, in a ramshackle boathouse near the harbor. What now? Shall we take him out in deep water and drown him? Oi, Zipper. You don't think I'd actually drown the poor mugs, do you? Tie him to these posts and leave just a heads above water. Then if the tide comes up and drowns him in a few minutes, can we help it? Ha <laughs> ha, what a deal. As cold water laps about the roped forms of the crime-smashing pair, the vigilante revives slowly. Well, where am I? In a safe place, vigilante. Safe for us, that is. And while we go out and rub the guests on the Van Rendell yacht. So long, Vidge. We'll be seeing you when the tide comes up. But you won't be seeing us. Time and tide wait for no man, they say. And both are turned against the Chinatown kid and his lawman pal. Only another minute or two, Stuff. You can't talk, but I know how you feel, and I want you to know well, I feel the same. In the old days in the West, a man could shoot his way out of almost any scrape. Wait a minute. Maybe I've got something there. Straining against the taut ropes, the vigilante gropes for the triggers on his holstered pistols. I can reach them. But if the water has gotten into the cartridges... There is a muffled explosion, and... Here goes. Here's hoping the bullet breaks the rope and not my leg. Next moment... Made it in the nick of time. Hang on a second longer, Stuff. <laughs> I don't mind drowning, but I hate not being able to talk. Stow the gap, partner. We're going on a voyage. This is out of my line. Can't we borrow a battle wagon from the Navy? Well, our Indian friends did a lot of good fighting from canoes. 
Well, if I'm an Indian, I'm gonna have four scalps before this night's over. There's the yacht, and the crooks have already boarded her. Guests aboard the luxurious Van Rundell yacht get a bigger thrill than they had bargained for. Hand over your jewels and cash, or I'll turn this red-a-tat thing on. This is an outrage. Don't speak to the creatures, Basil. Just ignore them. So intent are the crooks on their nefarious work, they do not notice a snaky noose hissed through the air. I'll give you ten seconds. One, two, and three. You're out. You dirty rat. You can't do this. You're dead. Well, haven't we met somewhere before? Another ghost. Oh, undignified. If you need a helping hand or foot, follow me. Oof. If this one knocks you out, the water will bring you to. Those rats stole our best pocket cruiser. No time to borrow a boat from here. Let's go. Holy cow. They've got to the boathouse already. We can't catch them. Back home on the range, they claim a man isn't licked until he quits fighting. A man isn't licked until he quits, and Dan Carmody is the sort of man who can't quit while there is a breath of life left in him. Maybe I'm dying, but I've got to hang on for a while. That's what Dad would have done. They didn't know I was conscious and heard them plan to drown the vigilante and the kid. Lucky I know the boathouse where they hang out. Torn with machine gun slugs, reeling with pain and weakness, the courageous cop reaches the robber's rendezvous. God, they must have killed the vigilante already. But that sounds like a boat headed this way. A man near death, but the white heat of anger hardens his nerves and muscles as he recognizes his enemies. The edge is following. Get your guns ready to blast him. Maybe I'm a failure because I'm not the man Dad was. But I can put up one more fight before I'm finished. You dirty rats. You're not through with me yet. Oh! Won't this guy stay dead? A brave try. But it saps the last of Carmody's strength. And... He's passing out. Now we got him where we want him. It won't do you any good, killer. There are plenty of cops besides me, and someday one of them will get you. I'll fill him so full of lead the fish won't be able to eat him. Look, Vidge. We're just in time. As the murderous gang chief's finger tightens on the trigger... It's Fridge. You yellow coyotes. Pick on somebody who's still on his feet. Long time since I've been fishing. These poles ought to come in handy. Why don't you use your fists like a man? You've used yours for the last time, bitch. Feels like I caught a flying fish. Right, I'm shot. A nice cast, stuff. The trouble with your way of fishing stuff 
because you only catch one at a time. But look at all the fun I have. And so, a man who came within a hairbreadth of being a ghost himself is free from the ghost of his famous father. I guess Dad would have rounded up a dozen other crooks on the way in. But anyway, here's Killer Bragg and his mob. What, you colored them? After they shot you up? Amazing. Next day... Dan Carmody receives a distinguished visitor in his hospital room. Carmody, you're the hero of the city, and there's a gold-plated sergeant's badge waiting for you when you are well. Well, uh, golly, Commissioner, uh, to think I owe it all to Dad for setting a high mark for me to shoot at. Greg and Stuff view a newspaper headline. Carmody beats Jinx, catches Bragg Gang. Am I glad we tied up those buzzers before Carmody came too, so he'd think he caught them. He deserved a break. The vigilante seeks no glory, but when a rampaging buckaroots needed to strike a blow for justice, well, you know the rest. The end. Signed, Mort Morton and Inky Russo's. So, while our hearts are pumping on that one, let's turn to Greg Sanders' Rodeo Radio as he introduces the Queen of Cowpunk, the Pride of Consort Alberta, in one of her very earliest recorded performances before she went down to the States and got all mellow and started singing Leonard Cohen songs. And, of course, I'm speaking of Little K, Little D, Little L-A-N-G, K.
I first saw her in a, oh, I believe it was a saloon in Lethbridge about around about this time this album came out or maybe a little bit before. And uh, she was certainly on the way up. And uh, and uh, she was certainly the pride of Alberta at that point in time. And uh, she played the in front of the, the world at the, uh, uh, I believe, the closing ceremonies of the Calgary Olympics in 1988. And she started to get many international hits. And then one day she said something about... Uh, not eating beef, and uh, she suddenly wasn't welcome back home in Consort Alberta anymore. Uh, we love our Canadian singers, but man, don't knock our beef. <laughs> we're funny that way. Actually, we're quite parochial that way. Uh, but that's okay. Katie doesn't mind, and uh, I, I, at one point she made sort of a, a half-hearted apology for this, and... Uh, I don't think anybody really talks about it too much anymore, but uh, she's st we still know that uh, Alberta sent a great star to the international stage. Yes, once again, Katie Lang. So now let's move to my notes here on uh, the rookie who became a ghost, who the rookie who fought a ghost. So yes, we have a New York City cop, a, a red-haired Irishman who's talking about fighting a ghost. No, it's not Jim Corrigan, the Spectre. It's Dan Carmody. And Dan is going to slightly take over this, uh, this story. I don't know quite what Morton and Morton, and Morton uh, were thinking about here, but I just believe they just wanted to tell a very nice story. Um, and I don't think Vigilante and stuff are so far back in the story that they're kind of guesting in their own show. But uh, this is basically a... a a young fella who's new to the force, uh, has all the qualifications, and despite his qualifications, he can't quite live up to a reputation of his father, who is, uh, has passed on. So, uh, the splash, I just uh, make a few notes on it. Uh, we see very first up uh, the uniform Dan Carmody and the... Uh, pile of gangsters he seems to have on the ground in front of him that uh, look like they're going to be uh, nursing some ice in the morning and Vidge and stuff are back underneath the lamp pole. Uh, Morton Meskin loves lamp poles. And uh, the lamp post we have uh, the corner of uh, I want to say 42nd Street and I can't quite see what the avenue is underneath the uh, 42nd Street sign and there's even a bus stop sign so it's a great attention to detail uh, let's get it over with get it out of our system Vidge is wearing a brown hat he'll wear this brown hat throughout the uh, story and stuff well he has what appears to be was going to be his costume he's wearing that red t-shirt with that red sailor's hat pagoda hat whatever it's supposed to be white shorts white walking shorts uh, yellow boots and yellow gloves uh, and I think maybe he's been shopping at Robbins Taylor as I said I won't dwell on Dan too long um, I believe the drama pretty much uh, says what it is he's a uh, he's a lone wolf cop on the beat apparently new to the force but uh, knows enough about the underworld, knows enough about the New York streets to find out 
where police are and man oh man is he hard on doors uh, there's a door count going on in here we're going to lose three doors uh, two to dan and one to the vigilante's motorcycle and he he's uh, willing to use just about any weapon at his disposal even when he loses gun he'll break a chair over a head when he brings in two out of five gangsters the sergeant uh, berates him goes well your father would have brought in all three and then we see a bunch of cops in uh, what they call the reserve room and I believe a reserve room is sort of like a coffee room a ward room sort of a a waiting room where police take their breaks and they appear to be playing some cards and having a coffee and basically being a bunch of a little bit of a sewing circle in uh, all talking about how comedies just can't live up to his dad's reputation um, there's a police benefit association and I believe this is sort of a the sort of thing where they have a, a get-together and sort of uh, try to raise money for as a benevolent association probably for widows and orphans of police who are killed or were wounded in the line of duty and vigilante or sorry pardon me greg saunders i almost gave away his identity pretend you didn't hear that folks maybe i should go back and edit this uh is uh singing in performance for this uh benevolent association as part of this we also have a skills competition which comedy wins all of them, including shooting and uh, motorcycle stunt riding. But still, it's just not good enough for these old uh, friends of his father's, Mike. And uh, Stuff and Vidge both pick up on this, and they feel bad for Dan. And wouldn't you know it, uh, when walking down the street, accosted uh, by some muggers, it's Dan that... Uh, pulls their fat out of the fire and even hauls the mugger over top of his shoulder and one under his arm and drags them back to the sergeant desk. So, you know, what I can see is Dan is a very eager, very uh, ambitious cop. It's just, uh, he's fighting a complex. He's got an uh, inferiority complex that would probably choke a horse. Oh, sorry, Katie. Choke a motorcycle. Now, Dan's activities have raised the ire of Killer Bragg, who's the local mobster of note, who sets a trap. And by uh, locking in some nitrous oxide into a jewelry store and then busting a window and waiting for Dan to come along. When the nitrous oxide hits him, well, they don't actually call this nitrous oxide in the story. It's laughing gas, but nitrous oxide is what they're doing. When the nitrous hits him, uh, Dan just uh, busts up in laughter enough that he can't uh, seem to stop Bragg and the boys from raiding this uh, jewelry store. And when the reinforcements come in the squad cars, well, all they got is uh, poor Dan. He's on the street busting a gut, and uh, there's nothing but broken glass and missing jewelry on the floor. And, of course, the press takes a hold of this, uh, talks about the cop who sat there and laughed while a business was raided. But Stuff and Vidge see this headline and know that something else is going on, because they always do. They take to the streets, and this is uh, time to stop and take note 
of uh, Vidge and Stuff's new motorcycle. But I'll talk about that more in a minute when we get a better shot of it. Uh, Dan has had his gun and his badge taken because you're done as a cop in this town. Doesn't matter. He's going to hit the streets. Sort of like a, a, a vigilante. Yes, a vigilante. So he's out there in, uh, in civilian suit. And he's busting up stoolies to find out where, where Bragg is, is hiding out. And at this point, Carmody never has to worry about the law at this point. And we lose another door. But Carmody is almost uh, shot to death by Bragg with a machine gun. And so Carmody can think with his fists, but he's not, a, he, he's not bulletproof. Now, Vidge's models up to this point in time of his gas-eating Broncos haven't been anything special. Usually just a uh, an engine with a bike with a seat on top of it. And for a while, there were he was using mostly borrowed or stolen motorbikes. Um, but at this point, he seems to have a really slick custom. And um, I just had to stop and take note of this. Uh, it's got some green colorations. So I decided to... Uh, very fancy fender skirts, of which very few motorcycles of this point in time would have. So I decided to look into this. And this appears to be, around 1942, Harley-Davidson uh, made the WLA motorcycle for the U.S. Army. And I believe this looks like a variation of that, possibly with a civilian uh, <sighs> accoutrements, uh, such as custom fender skirts that cover about three-quarters of the wheel wells. And there's a nice big V right in the front of the, uh, of the front fender over the front tire. So just thought I'd have to look into that. This is certainly not the rocket Vigicycle. We're a long way away from that. But, uh, yeah, good on Vig and stuff for getting themselves a Harley. Now, hearing the shots that took down Carmody, uh, stuff rides this new Harley right through the door again. So there's door number three gone in seven pages. The stuff uh, takes a flying leap off of the motorbike as, as it stops. So... He's observing uh, the Newton laws of gravity. And I do like this part where Vidge socks one of the gangsters and says, Have a dream on me. But uh, Stuff and Vidge haven't sent enough of them to La La Land. And Bragg manages to capture Stuff and uh, holds him hostage, which just raises Vigilante's ire. As we've seen, there's nothing that Vidge... Uh, will get angrier about than when children are in danger. And, of course, that uh, sort of is, is Greg's kryptonite because it causes him to be a little bit unwary. And as he's not paying attention, he gets a blackjack over the back of the head. But, folks, he keeps his hat on. Yeah, v Greg Saunders never loses his hat in this story. I think there's only one shot when he's reading a newspaper he doesn't have the hat on. So good for Vidge. That that brown hat must be really tight. And the latest death trap du jour, as Carmody is left for dead, is to drop, simply, drop Vidge and stuff down a dock 
tie them to the dock and wait for the tide to come in. As Bragg and his gang head out to uh, plunder a cruise ship not far off. Need I say, Vidge and Stuff both have their hats still on. Stuff is bound and gagged. Now, disappointment for Dave McIlvaney. The spurs are not going to be used. They're not even going to be mentioned. However, Vigilante has remembered, probably for the first time in 1942, that he packs a pair of pistols at his side. And even though he's underwater, and I like that uh, the writer at least noted that uh, I hope we haven't been in the water too long for the, uh, the cartridges or the powder to get wet. And of course, if a bullet is in the water too long, water is going to seep in and uh, make the, render your gunpowder inert. But fortunately, that hasn't happened to the powder or the firing. I just like that they made note of it. And Vidge managed to try to shoot himself in the foot, but uh, come on, it's Vigilante and this is comics. Therefore, he hits the rope and not his uh, left leg. And that manages to help them get free. Uh, of course, he frees Stuff. And they grab a canoe. Stuff makes an unfortunate remark about using the canoe. And apparently paddling a canoe makes him an Indian. And which he says the word Indian. I changed that in the drama. You're welcome, folks. And talking about uh, bagging some scalps. That's a stereotypical sort of a thing. The sort of thing we've come to expect in the 1940s. Scalping is a ritual practice that, of course, is long gone by this point in time. But uh, stuff's, stuff's mad. And you know what stuff's like when he's mad. He just doesn't isn't thinking very well. So they managed to get the canoe out to the yacht just as uh, the, the people aboard the pleasure yacht are enjoying their party. And we have a good old Donnie Brook, uh, but not before the crooks get away with Vigilante's canoe. Leaving Vig and stuff to have to swim back to shore. So I hope we're not in a very distance. And in the meantime, Carmody has come to. Um, he manages to give Bragg a bit of a welcome when the canoe comes into the dock. A two-fisted welcome, but he's just lost too much. And at this point, Bragg has lost his bowler hat. And he's, he's about had it with comedy, vigilante stuff. And all of these people seem to keep coming back to life. And he's about to take out comedy with his uh, mach Thompson machine gun. When Vigil and stuff managed to come onto the dock. Fighty, fighty, fighty McFightstein. Comedy, of course, at this point is overwhelmed and unconscious. Still, Vision and stuff managed to get Carmody and the uh, crooks back to their sergeant's desk, who is finally amazed. A uh, man walks in bleeding, dang dangling, and he's got a, a gang of thieves in submission. Uh, Carmody finally gets to the hospital. Uh, the commissioner comes along. I don't know if this is Commissioner Gordon. Well, we're in New York, so it's not. And he gets a promotion to sergeant, as well as reinstatement. And we end with vigilante and stuff. Um, 
talking about how they were just willing to just slink away and let Carmody have the credit. And that gave him back his self-confidence. And uh, not only to himself, but in the eyes of the peer. Great story. No criticisms here whatsoever. I see no script failures. Um, I think it's just amazing. It's a, an incredible two-fisted story. You can hardly read this fast enough. Just good old golden age fighty McFightstein and uh, and a lesson learned. And often that did happen in some of these golden age stories. You did uh, learn at this point in time. And I understand what Dan Carmody uh, goes through. Uh, anybody that uh, follows their parents or their family into a profession such as I did myself with farming and agriculture uh, you know if somebody knows your father or some uncles or grandfather or that sort of a thing they always judge you by that uh, that reputation and sometimes that can be good and sometimes can be bad it's sometimes nice to be able to walk in someone else's feet but at the same time you want to be able to plow your own row from now on. And uh, that's certainly what I found in my life is uh, if nobody will let you uh, walk the road you want to, find a different road. A Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just love saying that. And now let's wind up the show to catch up on a couple of feedback on uh, recent episodes that came around to, out around the Christmas New Year uh, period. Uh, episode 32 was uh, regarding All-Star Squadron issues uh, tailing into Crisis and Infinite Earths, which also introduced uh, the dummy into All-Star Squadron canon, as it were. And, of course, our letter is from Dave McIlvaney from December 30th. He goes, Greetings, Ranger Gord. Sorry I'm a bit behind with feedback, but with Christmas activities, it took a while before I got to listen to this episode. And I'll see if... I see there's a bonus New Year's Eve episode that I'll want to catch up on, too. So thank you for these holiday gifts. You're welcome, Dave. This was a fun listen. I've liked Roy Thomas's work going back to his days at Marvel and especially enjoyed his work at DC later. He clearly loves the JSA and enjoys writing them, as well as the Seven Soldiers of Victory, the All-Star Squadron, and Infinity, Inc. I have to say his tie-ins to the Crisis and Infinite Earths series were among the best of DC's tie-ins at the time. You could tell Roy put a lot of thought and effort into his work, more work, I think, than some of the action and Superman writers did. In those comics, it often felt as if Superman wasn't involved in Crisis at all, or wasn't even aware of it, which made for forgettable throwaway stories. Uh, put that on pause for a minute. Uh, Dave, and as Dave well knows, there is a podcast out there by a uh, an expert, a comics uh, fan expert, Mr. John Wilson, called Superman in Crisis, which specifically deals with Superman in that era of crisis, in that year of 1985 and in the, the post-crisis issue. And uh, uh, as it stands now, John has gotten through the entire crisis and he's going through that six months or so gap before Man of Steel came out and uh, just before that, uh, the Alan Moore wind-up. 
um, that some people love, some people don't. But at any rate, check out John Wilson's Superman in Crisis. So back to Dave's letter. Like you, I found the idea that the dummy was actually a wooden dummy to be a bit odd. And it seemed in this story arc as if Roy Thomas was suggesting that he was somehow magically animated. Yeah, and I I don't think that has been explained to this day. Uh, as I believe I said in the podcast, he does show up in the, quote, uh, modern era, unquote, in issues of Infinity, Inc. as a member of, uh, I believe the group is called Injustice Unlimited. And uh, they... Roy goes on with that uh, wooden animated uh, existentialism for the dummy at that point in time. And uh, unfortunately, Infinity Inc. ended before much was ever done with it. Uh, Back to the Dave letter again. I can see why you decided to do synopsis of the stories rather than radio dramas. It made it much easier to follow, and I imagine the radio drama route would have been terribly taxing for you. Yes, Dave, taxing and at the ultimate point, uh, irrelevant. Because, like I said, Vigilante doesn't appear at all. Uh, Back to the letter. As ever, I enjoyed your musical selection since I'm a big fan of swing and big band music and Cowboy Christmas Ball was a delight. Thanks, as always, live long and proper. Prosper, Dave McIlvaney. Well, thanks, Dave. And uh, Dave is pretty much the main correspondent for here for Prairie Justice. Um, having said that, uh, we have seen received kind words on Twitter and Facebook from Max and Rich at Weird Warriors Podcast, from uh, Martin Gray and his fandoms, um, from Billy Dunleavy from the Monsters and Magazines Podcast, which I've been a guest on. And uh, from several others, uh, oh, I believe we were mentioned on um, Russell's uh, Stop, Let's Team Up podcast recently as well. And also thanks to uh, Al Sedano for his uh, playing of our, our, uh, our trailer on uh, Res- his Resurrections podcast. And I reciprocated on this episode as well. Uh, and I'm sorry for anybody I'm missing because uh, Twitter right now, as you realize, is a dumpster fire. And it's just impossible to follow, and I'm not going to bother. Um, you can follow me. I'm still over there. I haven't walked out in hissy fit yet. I just find it totally useless now. It seems that on the phone they've even taken away the like pro- prospects to like a t- tweet. So. Uh, whatever happens is going to happen up there. I'm not going to make a big stink about it. If it disappears, it disappears. It's something I never had a few years ago, and I won't miss it when it goes away. Um, and I'm still there at Tolton Gord. Uh, my main thing, though, I do seem to want to stick to Facebook and uh, as many issues as it has down there. But uh, we are still at Prairie Justice, a Greg Saunders vigilante podcast on Facebook. So... Find us there. And I'm going to go back to another letter from Mr. McIlvaney. And this uh, was in response to the bonus New Year's Eve episode, uh, episode 33. uh, That just had me sort of doing musing and bitching about the pre-Christmas weather here in southern Alberta. Uh, but, uh, and of course, I played a bit of music on there, a couple of Ian Tyson selections and, and from the late Wilf Carter. 
and I also had a uh, a song by Paul Hyde, Murray McLaughlin, and uh, Tom Cochran. Uh, that was a New Year's Eve special called "Let the Good Guys Win." But as I wrapped that up, and I had actually put it, set it to post uh, on New Year's Eve, uh, I believe on December 30th, we got word of the passing of one of the singers that I had posted, uh, Mr. Ian Tyson, an icon of Canada, Western Canada, and Alberta, and uh, cowboy music. And that's why I play him so much, because he's just a great modern interpreter of the genre. And uh, yes, Mr. Tyson did pass away at 89 years old. And I briefly pulled the episode out and uh, put in a, uh, a brief tribute and played his best-known song, Four Strong Winds. And then I just released it on that day, just uh, so people could understand what had happened, because I didn't want to seem like a ghoul capitalizing on Ian Tyson music when the man had just been laid into the ground. So to turn to Dave's letter, uh, greetings Ranger Gord, first let me extend my condolences on the passing of Ian Tyson. May his memory be a blessing. I know you enjoyed his work and thank you for sharing much of it on this podcast so listeners like me could experience it too. I have enjoyed it tremendously. Uh, I also love the great quotes of Vigilante. Uh, This was little snippets I took out of the Justice League Unlimited and Brave and Bold cartoons. Uh, That made me smile. I enjoyed the who's who entries on the dummy and vigilante with the bit about stuff whose fate came as a surprise. May the podcast not cover that for a long time. And yes, as uh, those stories about the the murder of stuff, and don't worry, uh, with crisis he gets better, uh, came in, I believe, in uh, a world's finest story in the 1970s, 1977, I think. And later on in the Vigilante graphic novel, novel, Prairie Justice, City Lights. And, uh, yeah, so it'll be a while before we have to cover those. Although the uh, the graphic novel does take place in 1947, so I'll hit that probably before anything else. And uh, to turn to today's letter, so sorry, thank you for the musical choices as usual. They were all good picks, mostly focused on Ian Tyson <laughs> and mostly on his comments about weather. Again, I thank you for bringing his work to my attention. My life has been enriched by that. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvaney. And I did write back to Dave. Uh, thanks for the condolences. Ian Tyson was important to Canadian music and to Alberta in particular. In the 1970s, while he was recovering from a bankruptcy, he lived in the Pincher Creek area where I am now. And when he got back on his feet, he bought a spread not far from, uh, far away at Longview near High River. A lot of movies shot in that area, including Superman 3. And you can hear all about that on an episode where I guessed it on with uh, Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly on the uh, Superman movie podcast on the Fire and Water Network. Anyway, the ones, back to Dave's letter, the ones positive from his death, or back to my response to Dave's letter, rather, the one positive from his death was the warm wishes from across Canada and the world, and even our egregious Alberta politicians stopped for five minutes to agree that he had in many ways written the soul of the province. And if you know the uh, the division that's happening here at, right now in this uh, part of, the, of Canada, you understand. Uh, his career spanned from the earliest folk era. He claimed that he introduced Bob Dylan to pot, 
uh, to the CanCon area of Canadian radio in the 1970s, to the growth of the Western American platform of music in the 1990s when Nashville couldn't be bothered with anyone over 30 years anymore. When I was 15, I got to shake hands with the elderly Wilf Carter. At 17, the first time I snuck into a bar, I sat in a booth where I saw the back of Ian Tyson's head. And I saw him several times later on in his career. And the latest heir to the Dean of Canadian Cowboy Music, Cor Blund, actually came from my hometown. In fact, Cor Blund's dad was our livestock veterinarian. So Cor Blund is another one of those people like Ian Tyson that has gone away from the Nashville clone mode and is uh, has very successfully found his own sound and can found in the Roots and Americana platforms uh, in current uh, musical circles. So look for him. He's a, he, he's a good treasure here from southern Alberta. So as to the future of Prairie Justice, well, I see no reason why it shouldn't look bright. I believe I'm going to have a little bit more time with my new move. So I'm going to break right into uh, laying down the groundwork for the Seven Soldiers of Victory tale from Leading Comics number four. And that, of course, uh, due to Roy Thomas's stitching and needling in uh, 1985, was written into All-Star Squadron canon with the Crisis on Infinite Earths. And uh, we'll see how that plays out later on. From there, um, I'm going to alternate a bit. I'm going to have another action story and I'm going to get through what's left of the Crisis on Infinite Earths and what's left of the run of All-Star Squadron of things that uh, concern our friend Vigilante in that that publication and also in the post-crisis publication of Young All-Stars. They're not huge, uh, great impactful in the life of Vigilante or the career but uh, they are appearances, and we will stitch them into the canon. Good news is, once we get past all of that uh, All-Star Squadron, Crisis, and Young All-Stars, we'll be back right into full-time covering the Action Comics solo stories and wrapping up uh, the rest of the leading comics appearances as well. So things will hopefully move faster uh, once we get past the spring or the summer. And I shouldn't have done that because I've just cursed myself. Nothing's going to happen now, life, is it? Okay, stop it. So with that, I'm going to, as I said, put Action Comics 54, episode 34, to bed here. And we hope to see you down the road uh, with another tale of the Vigilante along with his compatriots and in the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Adios, amigos. And via Condios A. In the corner of a dark bar room, said an old cowboy singing western tune, singing songs that he learned as a child. All about the West back when it was wild. Well, so long, partners. You've been listening to Prairie Justice, the Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast. All materials used in Prairie Justice are believed to be of fair use and remain the copyright of all copyright holders. Stories, images, and the character of Greg Saunders, the Vigilante, 
and all other characters used are the property of DC Comics and DC Entertainment. Feedback for Prairie Justice can be left on Facebook under the name Prairie Justice, the Greg Sounders Vigilante Podcast. Email, you can go to vigilantecast at gmail.com. Website is www.rangergordsroundup, all one word, at .wordpress.com. And we sure hope to see you all back again for another ride with the Cowboy Crusader. Vaya con Dios, compadres, eh? Cause he's the last of the same.